So I want to talk about money and I want to talk about five principles that kind of come out of the work of Dave Ramsey who's a bit of a, um, a legend when it comes to faith and money and, and what that um, looks like. But I want to preface it with a really interesting story um, that I heard or kind of encountered some years ago and I was speaking with a young adult at the time who was quite um, excited. She'd managed to encourage her friends to gather round her and to pray that God would give her the money that she needed so that she didn't have to get a job. Not, not a word of a lie, right? That's, and I, sorry, did I, could you just repeat that? Did I hear that correctly? And that, that's what had happened. And two thoughts struck me, because she was deadpan, it was serious, this is what I'm, I'm going to do. Like, well, you could answer your own prayer and get a job. But I said, I, I was thinking, how far our thinking can drift from the wholesome and exciting view God has of our money. So often we shy away from talking about money. It's difficult, it's hard, it's taboo, it's different for everyone. Let's not talk about it. But God has this exciting, wonderful, wholesome plan that he wants us to be part of with him that involves our money. And secondly, how deeply money can strip us of the God-honouring character God wants to build in us. See, I am convinced that God's desire is that we become wise and become smart about money, that we talk about money so that money does not become our God, so that we can use it to do the things and to, that, that helps God and to love God in a way that he's worthy of, rather than it taking our heart and making it subject to money. So, I have five principles for you that I felt might be helpful for you or helpful when you're talking to your kids about money, or helpful when you're talking to someone who's struggling about money, or someone at work who, who like talks to you about money and money comes up and you're like, oh gosh, maybe something here will help. So it's kind of the five basics. Some of you may be like, oh, that, that was really elementary and basic today. If you think that, that is a wonderful thing because it means you're financially healthy, right? So, number one, flee from debt. Run away from debt. Flee from debt. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. When we borrow money, we become slave to, to that which we borrowed it from. Debt is a prison. And Australians are very familiar with this. Presently, Australia is the number one position, in number one position of personal consumer debt in the whole world. Wow, we're winning. <laughs> Gold medal, right? Each Australian adult, on average, currently is in debt to the value of $56,000. And some of you are not in debt that much and so you realise how much debt others are in. Compared to the, the debt of American adults of $44,000. So ours is 56, theirs is 44. So Australians' mortgage, credit card debt and personal loans total over $1.2 trillion. It's a number you can't even wrap your head around. It was good to beat America at something, but not this. Wrong, wrong event to get in. Debt is being waved in front of us every day. I was honoured yesterday to get an email from the Bank of Nigeria asking if I'd like to do business with them. I was very excited, so thinking and praying on that one. Don't do that. So debt is being waved in front of us, so we must be wary of it. We must be alert and switched on to it. Credit cards are the fastest way to fall into debt. 
if we don't manage them very, very carefully. They come with an annual fee, so you have to pay for the privilege of having a credit card. It's easy to bump up your credit limit, so your potential to get into debt can easily be increased. And the interest rate, if you don't pay, is savage. It will strip you of all that you find valuable. If you have a credit card, it is absolutely insane not to pay it off every month. Absolute insanity not to pay it off. And if you can't afford it, then you're not living within your means that God has provided for you. And my counsel, do not get a credit card. Use a debit card instead. If you can't afford something, (laughs) don't buy it. Whoa, crazy, right? You go, wow, glad we came to church today. This is like mind-blowing stuff. If you can't afford it, just don't buy it. Debt is refusing to live at the level of God's provision for your life. Debt is refusing to live at the level of God's provision for your life. See, money is actually a faith issue. It's an issue of discipleship. How we use our money is how we are as disciples. It's an important part. It's not an added on extra that just sits here. It's saying, God, your generosity toward me is not enough. I'm taking matters into my own hands. That's what debt is. God, I know you're generous, but not quite generous enough. I'm going to take some money from over here and use it for what I want. God has given you, he has entrusted you, he has asked you to steward your income, whatever that is or isn't, whatever your savings are or aren't, whatever the money is that's connected to your life, God has said that's entrusted to you to use for my glory. If you're getting into debt, what you're actually saying to God is, I do not trust the amount you're looking after me. So you can't say, I live by faith and God looks after me, but I'm in debt. The two argue against each other. Paul said to the Corinthian church, in, in eight, uh, 2 Corinthians 8-7, he said, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, so, so just as you excel in everything, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. You cannot... Be excellent and excel in the grace of giving if you owe everything you could give to God to a bank or a corporation or a business or a culture who actually owns you if you owe the money. Ultimately, debt means we cannot do the things that God invites us to do. Now, I'm not saying you should never borrow money. There's good debt and there's bad debt. Bad debt is consumer debt. Basically everything except the house mortgage, which you should only commit to. A house mortgage you should only commit to if it's within your means to service. Otherwise you'll find yourself in so much debt that you can't breathe and it starts to affect your life. Simply put, to get out of debt, you have to stop borrowing money and stop spending money. It's easy, right? Piece of cake. (laughs) Stop borrowing money, stop spending money. So who is it that you owe? If you've been sitting here and you're like, oh yeah, things aren't really that financially healthy in my life. Well, who is it that you owe? Work it out, how much you owe them, write it down. Get some wisdom, because there's a lot of wise people about money. Get some wisdom on it and put together a plan to pay it off. Restrict your spending, flee from debt, be free for the things God wants you to be free for. So number one, flee from debt. That was the hardest one to hear. 
So I thought I'd punch in real early, real hard, and then we'll just uh, we'll kind of cruise and enjoy the rest of the time together, okay? So if you're a bit shell-shocked, you can stick around because it doesn't get worse, I don't think. Okay, number two, act your wage. Act your wage. Proverbs states, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. For Solomon, who was the wisest man, he consequently became the richest man ever. He knew that wisdom ushered in financial security. There's a clear link between wisdom and financial security. Our culture sells us the lie that we are entitled to a standard of living that's beyond our capacity to afford it. You need more stuff. I deserve that brand new car, that latest phone, those nice clothes or shoes, the huge TV, the pet I can't afford, the expensive holiday I'm entitled to. I always recall this funny story. It was after a young adult service. It was quite a few years ago now. We've been talking about sponsorship programs and we just started to launch this sponsorship program in Cambodia. So we had some Cambodian kids living in a slum and we asked people in um, a New Life uh, and the church we're at, uh, the church that sent Village out, um, if they'd like to sponsor a child. And, and afterwards, a young adult came to me and thankfully I can't remember who it was, which is good, but I do remember the story. And they said to me, I would so love to sponsor a, a kid. How, how much is it? Is it thirty-five dollars? I can't. I can't really afford that. Like that's not a problem at all. If you can't afford thirty-five dollars, that's like going into debt, right? So, so that's completely fine. And then they went out to Grilled and they bought a thirty-dollar meal. And I'm like, right, thirty-five dollars a month and a thirty-dollar meal. I, there's there's a lie that's being told inside that hasn't put those things together. It's this consumer culture that just grabs hold of us and and, and kind of perverts and pervades everything to make us um, not realise that we are up to the things God calls us to and to run away from all the other stuff that actually wants us, wants to claim us and own us and have us. When you fail to live within your means, you forfeit the opportunity to live in God's means. When you fail to live within your means, you fail the opportunity to live in God's means. Wisdom sets us up to change the world. And foolishness, it leaves these amazing opportunities just squandered and lost. Our culture sells us the lie that if you get more stuff, you get more happy. More stuff, more happy. And you should get more happy regardless of the cost. And we learn this from an early age. We'll do a bit of a test. Just yell out the answer as soon as you know it. McDonald's market their kids' meals as happy meals. The problem with a happy meal is that it wears off. Right? I mean, you get a lovely soggy burger, an ice-filled drink with a squirt of like whatever you have in it, and this rubbish plastic toy that's probably broken by the time you get home. So happy, right? No child discovers lasting happiness in a Happy Meal. You, you don't hear a child like getting to teenage years and be like, it's been good. Because remember that Happy Meal we had? You know, we stopped at McDonald's on the way home. We had that Happy Meal. That was good. I've been happy ever since. It was, that did the trick. It, it, hit, it hit the nail on the head. That was, that was amazing. Happy Meals bring happiness only to McDonald's who've sold like 20 billion Happy Meals. No wonder they're happy. They're pumped. When we get older, we don't get smarter though, it's that our happy meals get more expensive. We go after other stuff to make us more happy. 
The secret of being successful with our money is not buying more stuff, it's acting our wage. It's learning to live on less than you make. Radical, isn't it? Learning to live on less than you make so there's something left for the end of the week or the, or the fortnight or the month. A couple of years ago, Lyndall and I, when we started Village, realised that we wanted our 65 plus years to look better than they currently might be looking. And so as a result, we, we rearranged a whole bunch of financial things, but we bumped up our super contribution fairly significantly to the point that it kind of hurt the way we were living at the time, so we had to adapt and adjust to the way we were living. Adapting and adjusting, once you do it in one area, you go, oh, I can... I can do this, I'm actually pretty good at this and you can start saving in other areas. But we wanted to make sure that the culture that says buy now and you'll be happy was kind of thwarted by invest in what life looks like down the future and you'll actually have the security of knowing that that's taken care of and that you can walk toward that. Which all boils down to this really, it's a complex word, it's a difficult word, it's a, it's a word we don't use much that if we can get better at just wrapping our minds around this word, we'll be, we'll be home and hosed. Here's the word, ready? No. We need to say no to more stuff, right? I need that, no I don't. I want that, no I don't. No, 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 no. I heard this story of a woman who decided to fast over the course of a year, not food, but buying new clothes. Now, I feel akin to this, this woman because I don't buy new clothes like on a, probably a biannual basis really. I hate buying new clothes. So these are my new shorts, new t-shirt, new shoes. These will last me a good two years. So you'll gradually see these turn grey. I'll be wearing grey on Sundays. But this lady, she, she fasted and so for a whole year she didn't spend any money on shoes or clothing or anything like that and, kinda, and got to the end of the year and then did the maths on what that would have looked like um, had she spent everything that she spent um, in previous years on clothes and took that amount of money and donated it to an AIDS charity. She said of this, I was free of being consumed by stuff. I was free. She was free by giving her money away. Like, what? But she starved that in her life so it had no power and then she took what the fruit of that was and invested it in something amazing. Saying no to junk means we get to cheerfully say yes to the priceless. Saying no to the junk means we get to say yes to the priceless. So what do you have enough of that you don't need to buy for a year? Maybe that's you, maybe it's a challenge you need to take. Um, maybe it's, it's more shoes. I'm not, no I wasn't looking at you Lindell. Maybe it's more clothes. <laughs> you love shoes. <laughs> maybe it's more movies, maybe it's more books, maybe it's more Uber Eats, maybe it's more coffees, maybe it's more something else. Is there something that is preoccupying a ridiculous amount of your life financially that if you took it away it wouldn't affect anything? That you can, you can use that as an experiment to, to break consumerism in your life and be free of having to say yes to everything. Because once you say no to that, it becomes really easy to say no to all the other stuff that you might need to say no to to move to a healthy space. Acting your wage empowers you to prioritise what the Holy Spirit living within you wants to do. The Holy Spirit living within you has an agenda and a desire for your life that wants to fulfil and if you act within your means, that frees the Holy Spirit to do the things in your life that the Spirit wants to do. So that's two. The third financial principle, write a game plan or a budget. 
Maybe, you know when I said it doesn't get any worse, maybe it just got worse. I'm sorry, budgets. budgets. Proverbs states, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So when Lyndall and I uh, shifted from New Life to Village, financially that shifted some things for us and the very first thing we did is we started a budget. We hadn't budgeted in our entire lives until this point three years ago and we, we um, started up this budget. The budget's called YNAB. It's just a, a software program that you can have on your phone or your computer. Um, and basically, it's called You Need a Budget, so YNAB, and you put in, and this for some of you would just be like, oh, I couldn't do that, but you can. You put in everything you spend your money on. So you buy a coffee, you do that. You buy dinner, you do that. You put petrol in the car, you do that. You buy insurance, you do that. You buy groceries. You put it all in the app as you go along and then at the end of the month you actually reconcile it against what you hoped you would spend on that area. So very quickly you realise that you spend way more money than you realise. Like 10 and 10 transactions today, I did not depart with money 10 times today. But you actually did. It's ridiculous the amount. um, You you can then plan for insurance, right? So every month we put aside some money for insurance. So when the insurance bill comes, it's not like, oh, that's so painful. It's like, yep, got it covered because we've been working toward this for a year. We do that with everything, everything in our lives. So our entire life becomes financially secure. So we know where every dollar goes. We have control about where every dollar goes. We can pull it back from those things. We can shift it over here and say, okay, for this month we're not going to spend on this, we're going to do this instead. We can work hard to save money in different areas and we can put that into our savings. We know exactly how much we save so we know exactly where we are financially in relation to where we want to be and how it's going to work. Now what you need to understand about this is I hate it. I hate it. But it's been incredible I'm actually the one that reconciles the stuff. How did that happen? I have no idea. I was completely fooled. But I'm the one that does the stuff at the end of the month and works it all out and goes, yep, we're a good month or yeah, we need to cut down on petrol. It's hard to cut down on, right? But just, just on that, so if 7-Eleven have an app that if you see the, you know there's a jump, petrol jump? On this app, you punch it in, and if there's a 7-Eleven, like in one of the six 7-Elevens near you, that has still got low petrol, you can lock in that price for a whole week. Right? So that means in seven days from when you lock it in, when the price jumps from like 130 to 170, you can still get it at 130. That's 16 bucks, 17 bucks a tank you save. And for some of you, bigger tanks, more money, right? We drive a little Corolla, so it's not. So amazing. You do that three or four times. That's a whole tank of petrol you get to save a month. There's just these little things that what happened is budgeting caused us to go, oh, hang on, we can save here, we can save here, we can save here. And that put us in a much more financially stable situation to give to the stuff we want to give to and to do the things that we felt God was calling us to do. There is no stage of life where a budget is not only helpful but essential. So if you don't know where your money goes, and however you do it doesn't matter, right? But if you don't know where your money's going, make sure you get on top of that and know exactly where it's going. Budgets are tough. Forming them can cause fights, even within yourself or with your partner or uh, a spouse or whatever that looks like. Because you will put your money and you will want to put your money where your heart is. See, our hearts lead where we give. Jesus said a lot about that. The fact that I do not have a boat to go fishing in is because of a budget. It's because Lyndall says, I do not want to drown. 
Oh, and I don't want you to drown either, having a boat. And my heart is more with Lyndall than it is fishing on a boat. Right? So our hearts lead our financial decisions. Sometimes it takes someone wise to speak into the chaos that occurs here um, to make sure my heart's intact. But you will put your money where your heart is. So our budget at Village, a church, is really tight. If you've been around here here very long, you'll know that we don't do an offering on Sundays. The people who go, this is my church, this is home, I belong here, they give to make village work because the theological tenet of the scriptures is the church offers ministry and mission to the world at the church's expense, not at the world's expense. So right from the start we said we don't ever want to put pressure on somebody who's coming here as a guest or a visitor or coming to explore faith to say, you should give us money for doing this, just in the implication, right? So we made this decision early on. One of the um, uh, consequences of that decision is things have always been tight. But that's a good thing, right? To know what it is. We we monitor every dollar that we spend at Village. We have like big conversations about, can we actually spend money on those new pens? (laughs) What are we thinking? But every dollar matters, right? Because we want a heart to be for Burley. We want a heart to be for people who um, who don't know Jesus yet. And that we know that a large portion of that is guided by what we spend our money on. So we must invest our money, invest our time on things that bring that response rather than things that make us more comfortable or make things more lovely for us. So this is the season of giving that we're in in Village. Um, we spent two weeks before Christmas talking about it and these two weeks this week and next week talking about it because what we want to do is increase the financial margin to enable us to do some things that we're sure will help engage the community and help the community engage more with us and what happens here. And there's a big list and the list sort of shifts and changes. Um, I wrote a letter before Christmas. There's a copy of the letter on the back table. So if you lost the letter, you never read the letter, um, you don't have to tell me, you can just pick one up. If you didn't get one, feel free, it's on the back corner of the table back there. But things like a fold-back speaker, fencing outside so the kids can be free, so the community has a safe place where they might use. Um, New signage, because as you know, our signage, well you may not know, our signage is nearly falling to pieces. Um, So new signage, iPad for kids ministry to enable um, quicker um, uh, facilitation of people getting involved there. Um, So uh, there's a a whole other list and our goal is $9,000. $9,000 that Village would say over and above what we already give um, to this. So we're asking everyone who calls Village home to speak with God, to meet with God, to talk with God and say, God, is, how do you want that to look in my life? Do you want me to contribute anything? And if so, what does it look like? And if God says no, then do not feel guilty. Do not feel obligated. Feel free. But if God says, yeah, I want you to push into that space and you go, oh, but hang on, it's an issue of heart. Right? So you answer that tension by analysing where's your heart at? Who is your heart with? Where should your heart be? And that's not a loaded question, it's just an important question that influences our giving, it influences our stewardship that we need to ask and sit with. Your bank balance can be led by your heart to do what God is asking. Your bank balance will come slave to your heart if your heart is right with God. And I had this horrible experience of this a couple of weeks ago. It was a week ago our TV died. We had a TV for a world record, it was an LCD TV, 13 years. I was so proud of that TV, I wanted to like, take it into retirement with me, but no, um, the TV had other plans, so the TV died. And so I went down with the kids to one of the shops to have a look at TVs, and I sent Lyndall some things, and I said, we can get, we can get a huge TV, 
for a really cheap price and I outlined all the benefits of that. And Lyndall said, it was ridiculous, Lyndall said, are there smaller TVs? No. No, the, the, the shop only sells the massive one. Like, oh, so I'm on the phone, I put the phone down, I said to the guy, it was the most humiliating thing for a guy to say, excuse me, do you have any smaller televisions? I think, I don't think he'd ever been asked that question. Huh? Sorry? You don't make me repeat it. Anything smaller? He goes, oh, we've got this, and he says, this for this price. I'm like, is this for this price? And Linda says, oh, that sounds good. I'm like, no, it doesn't. No, no, it sounds horrible. Because I really want the big TV. And Lyndall says, we'll talk about this later, which means I've lost, I've lost, right? We know that I've lost. Put the phone down, I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't buy the really big TV now and go home and surprise Lyndall and say it was the smaller one. No. So I went home and Lyndall texted me, she goes, is, is that okay? I'm like, babe, bigger is better, right? Everyone knows that, bigger is better. So we get home, we have a conversation and then Lyndall says, she goes, so we're doing the stewardship thing with Village, right? And we're supposed to be asking about what God wants to give our money to. Like, oh, you need to stack the path that came up with that stupid idea. It's like, yes. She goes, well, we could take the difference and that should go towards what God's doing. We don't need a bigger TV. And so I very grumpily went and bought the smaller TV. And, oh, this is painful to say, it was the best decision. It was the right decision. I haven't said that to you yet. It was the right decision because the TV that would have been big would have been too big for our room. And we get the extra bit that we can give to village, that we can give to what God's been doing. And so, so what we found is all the way through our marriage there's been these constant moments where God's like, I'm going to teach you something about stewardship. I'm going to teach you something about money that's more about faith than it is about money. Watch this. And so... Be aware of those things. There will come times when God does things through the spending or not spending, saving or not saving of your money that he wants to teach and implant in you something that you can't get any other way. So a budget empowers us to do that because we can go, yeah, we can, we can afford that. We can do that. So the saving of the TV goes into the oh, generous fund for village and we, <laughs> I know, I'm stoked about it. I'm really, really happy. So, we spoke, we spoke about um, two weeks before Christmas and, and two weeks now because this stuff needed to determine how we thought about Christmas, how we thought about consumerism because God wants to lead us into doing what his will is, whether that's in village or broader, it doesn't matter. But God wants to call us into that and we have these traps that lay before us like Christmas like birthdays, like all these opportunities where we can just splurge out money, like the car dies, like the TV dies, like whatever happens, where we can go, oh, I can make a wiser decision here and I can save the rest, I can keep the rest for something that God wants to do. And if you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, look, budgeting, budgeting's good, but, but really, it's a total headache. I don't want to be imprisoned by it. I this thinking of if there was a budget, I would be constrained in that. Well, there is no freedom in debt-fueled living, in ill-disciplined spending that leads to financial stress. That is not freedom. The very thing that we can tend to run away from is the thing that ushers us in to our financial freedom. The writer of Hebrews says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
Budgets are a financial discipline that over time can produce righteousness and peace. If we budget well, we get to be more right with God in how we spend and how we live. And that brings peace. It brings this sense of calm and not worry about the uncertainties that financial instability can bring. Alright, number four, learn to save and invest. Proverbs says, ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. So how do we become like ants? Well, I can tell you right now how you can save over the space of a year 12 to 18%. Are you keen? This is going to be like, you're going to be stoked about this. You're going to be so excited. Some of you are going to be disappointed because you're already doing it. But if you spend cash instead of a card, research says over the course of a year you'll save 12 to 18%. And you know why that is? Because it's painful to let go of your money, right? But when you fudge your card, you're spending the bank's money. So it's all good, it's not painful. And so if you go out or go out shopping or whatever, put the credit card down, grab your debit card, go to an ATM, pull out the cash you think you need, and then go shopping, you will spend less because you're spending your money, which you're already spending, by the way. But it will feel like you're spending your money. Now, if I just left it there, that's not exactly like, wow, groundbreaking. So let's talk about um, some other things that, that might be helpful. You need a savings plan. You need to plan to save. So when Lyndall and I first got married, we saved my income and we lived off hers. It was, our life was really financially simple when we started and that's how we, how we worked things out. Um, then we bought an investment house. And so we stuck all our savings in an offset thing so the offset could affect the interest on the house but we could still access that money which enabled us to then, when our kids came along, Zari and Haim, we bought our own place. And so our own place of Vice that we live in now um, and we put all our money into an offset there that offsets the amount of interest you should have and we neutrally geared our investment property so the rent pays for the mortgage and we had this way of facilitating our savings so it made the best long-term impact but the money was still accessible should we need it. Now, how you do this and what it looks like for you, I don't care. you just got to work out what's good and do that. And don't hear this and go, oh, I need to go and do that. Go and speak to a professional who knows what they're doing who will be able to give you really good advice um, but you should definitely seek that down, seek that out. The other thing we did is we saved for our kids. When the kids came along, we both, for our kids, put um, $100 away a month for each kid um, into an, uh, a 7% interest thing that they don't know about. Shh, don't tell them. So when they're 18, they'll be like, oh my gosh. And if they wait till they're 21 or 30 or 40, they'll be like, whoa. Um, but what we wanted to do was make sure that in, built into the rhythm of their life was this idea of saving. And so we encourage them to save on top of that and there will be this security for them to do whatever they want to do with it when they get to whatever age that has been built up and, um, and established over that time. Uh, one of the things that really changed our thinking on this is a book called The Barefoot Investor. You guys read that? Every person in Australia should read that book and every young adult should definitely read that book. I wish he'd written it when I was 20 and I'd read it when I was 20. But um, if, you, if you meet someone you're like, you're just having financial difficulties, give them that book. I'd show you a copy. I keep giving them away. I've got none left at the moment. Big W is the place to buy them. It's the cheapest place you can get them. Um, don't tell Scott who wrote the book that, it probably won't be states. Um, but when it all comes down to it, 
the, undergirding found, the, the, the thing that undergirds this foundation is in the first ten minutes of your money coming in, you need to pay two people. You need to pay God, you need to pay yourself. And not yourself now, but your long-term self. Tomorrow, Ralph. That's what you need to... No, don't pay Ralph. Tomorrow you. That's what you need to do. The first, so the money comes in, you pay God, you save, and you live off the rest. You won't even miss it because you'll be so accustomed to living on what's left. And so you take care of your tithe or your giving to God or whatever that looks like and then you take care of your savings thing, however that works itself out and you go, okay, the rest, now we live within our wage. We live, we act um, our wage. So the final one is be dangerously generous. Our final, final principle is be dangerously generous. The righteous, Proverbs 21, 26 says, gives without sparing. The righteous give without sparing. We would interpret that to say, our generosity spills out of the grace we have received from God through Jesus. Our generosity spills out of the grace that we have received from God through Jesus. So let me state the obvious. It's much, much harder to be generous when you're in debt. When you have nothing to give, it's very difficult to give. Do not borrow to be generous. Don't do that. Get out of debt and then move into dangerous generosity. Each of our principles, free from debt, act your wage, write a budget, save and invest, they all build on each other. And if we apply these principles to our lives, it gives us this strong financial position to live from. We can be dangerously generous, generous to the point of going, if I depart with that, it's going to require a lot of faith to live. Well, isn't that where God wants us to be? To say, I'm going to, it's, it's going to hurt, it's going to affect things if I do that. But that's going to require me to have faith. It's going to require me to push into God. It's going to require me to experience more of the righteousness of God. The righteous give without sparing. The most generous being that's ever existed is God. Ever thought how generous God is? God is always toward us. He's always given us. He has given us our bodies, the air in our lungs, the life force in us. He has given us this amazing creation that we know and love and experience. God has given him himself for our debt. He has paid our spiritual debt in full through the death of Christ. He has said, I love you so much that I'm willing to wipe the slate slate clean, I'm willing to pay for it all with my blood. He gives everything to us in its fullness. There is no constraint on God's generosity. There's no point when he pulls back and goes, oh, I've given you a bit too much. People think that. People think, well, God would never do this for me because of how I've been. The grace of God says it doesn't matter how I've been. God is pouring his goodness onto us all the time. When we are generous, we start to, to relive and to re-be and to reflect the way we were meant to be when we were made in God's image. Wow. Ooh. Not happy with that line? I'll say it differently. When we are made... We were made in God's image and we stray from that image and God calls us back into that by giving these opportunities. For example, the opportunity to be generous. That's why when you give, you feel so good. I mean, you give and you're like, oh, I feel great about this. That's why, because this is who I was created to be. This is, this is a reflectional part of how I'm meant to be. I think the biblical premise around money isn't believing God to give you more and he will bless you. That's been preached in the past at different places. Believe in God to give you more and he will give you more. He will make you rich. He will do everything you want. 
I think the biblical premise is more like if God is benefiting us financially, he does so in order to increase the generosity of our hearts. God gives so that we can pass it on. God gives us love so we can pass it on. Gives us friendships so we can pass it on. Gives us finances so we can pass it on. Gives us all of his life so we can pass it on. God gives us Christ so we can pass Christ on. God is a generous God. And at the heart of all our financial, that should be the goal. Not to save this massive amount, but to be generous people who live in the Spirit of God. The great John Wesley put it this way. He said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. It's pretty cool, right? Make all you can. Oh yeah, that sounds good. And then save all you can. Yep, good. And then give all you can. Alright, this is this full deal that can happen when we find our security in Christ. Not our security in having X amount of dollars saved up. Dangerous generosity, aside from making a God-shaped difference in this world, it increases the necessity to live by faith. The more generous you become, the more faith filled you become. Dangerous generosity welcomes more of God's presence into our lives. And so if you've been sitting there maybe and for a little while you're like, I just feel spiritually barren or, or starved or thirsty, like God's not here, go and do something dangerously generous for God. And say, God, is this what you want me to do? Because I'm going to go do it and then go and do it. And it will create this space of faith that God will fill, that God will meet you in that. Remember before Christmas I shared, if you were here, sorry guys, I know you weren't here, but I shared a, a, a two conversations I had in Burley with two different people and they both said exactly the same thing. They said there are givers in this world and there are takers. And that was their kind of framework for looking at things. And they said, I try and be a, ta- I try and be a giver and, and you're a giver and so forth. Well, those of us who have received the riches from God, who have said yes to following and trusting in Jesus, who've said yes to living in God's life and not our own life, who've said yes to believing in what God can do and not in what we can just do, we have been made into givers. You're already a giver. And if you're disgruntled in your spiritual life, it may be that you're taking more than you're giving and God's saying, no, 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 get in step with me, start giving in whatever capacity that was like. Not just money, but give out of your spirit and your life and what that looks like. Give and you will find a rhythm and a pattern and a presence of God that can be eluded otherwise. God knows that the more we give, the more that we know him. And that's the greatest rich. That's the greatest treasure we can have, knowing God. So I want to encourage you today. If you're in debt, flee from it. Run as fast as you can. And if you need help with thinking about that or other resources, let's talk about it. Let's get you out of debt. I'm not a financial guru, but I can link you with people that can and you need to be out of debt. Act your wage. There might be you might need to tighten up the screws or go on a fast or something and break consumerism. Write a budget. Are you like, oh, I just never thought about knowing where all my money goes? Well, that, that's easy enough to, to do and to help you do and it can happen all electronically so you don't even need to like a piece of paper with those lines. My mum used to do that. I used to look at her and the kid go, that must be the worst job in the world. So it's all digital. It's easy. Save and invest. Put money aside so you have this, this buffer. And then sit with God and say, God, how do you want me to dangerously give? What does that look like? And you know at Village that maybe that is a place where God is calling you to give generously, where God is stirring you to invest in what he is doing here, to be able to to do some of the things that without that generosity we can't do.
But to do it out of a conversation with God, out of a prompting for God, out of a leading from God. You know, when it's all said and done, the most important thing is our obedience to Christ. Forget everything else. If you're obedient to Christ, everything else aligns. So my encouragement in you is just be obedient with your, your giving, with your generosity, with your money, and you will find a fullness of God in that and a peace in that that's not brought around by money, but it's brought around by God. So let's pray. Lord, it can be quite confronting opening ourselves to your spirit as you speak to us about money, as you put your finger on our, on our hearts, as you call into question some of the decisions we might have made, as you cause us to grieve some of the losses we may have had. But Lord, may we, may we find our hope and our strength in you alone. Make us wise with our money. Lead us out of debt Lead us toward dangerous generosity. Speak to us. Empower us. Help us. And carry us, we pray, Lord. We ask these things in your amazing name. Amen.